Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today is Tuesday, the 29th of June of 2021. Sorry that I haven't put out any content recently, but I've been quite busy with some life stuff. Thankfully, it's all been positive, good stuff that has just taken my attention away from working on the podcast. As as always, you know, some things in life just take priority over others. But nonetheless, I'm excited to bring to you this podcast today where I'm going to be discussing the new TTM2 trial that was published just a few days ago in the New England Journal of Medicine. The title for this podcast is Hypothermia, and how I'm going to be describing hypothermia as 33 degrees Celsius versus normal thermia, which per this article is described as 37.5 degrees Celsius in cardiac arrest. The reason why I'm getting into this particular topic is because, you know, we take care of a lot of people who undergo cardiac arrest in the ICU, and there are many different points of views of how to interpret these different articles. I definitely recommend that you read the articles for yourself, especially those that are cited in this particular podcast, as they are in the description box below. The majority of them are free for you to download, and please don't trust me. This is my opinion, and also I do recommend that you listen to the opinions of people who disagree with me and those who I disagree with because they make a lot of fascinating points. At the end of the day, medicine is an imperfect science and some people, even though I'm a great fan of the normal thermia protocols, there are some patient populations that could potentially benefit from hypothermia. So one should never in medicine go by absolutes, okay? But again, the whole reason why I'm digging into this is that way back when, when I was a baby intern, I remember placing these large IJ cannulas in patients who suffered cardiac arrest to proceed with hypothermia. Later in my residency training, in December of 2013 to be exact, the New England Journal of Medicine published a targeted temperature management trial called the TTM trial, looking at 33 degrees Celsius versus 36 degrees Celsius after cardiac arrest. And it seemed as if the paradigm was starting to shift, especially after so much bench research, as well as certain clinical trials out there, showed that there was a benefit for cooling patients to 33 degrees Celsius. Now, you know, there's still to this day people who have, uh, who had a hard time changing their practice, and understandably so, it's hard to just change everything based on one trial. Then, since then, there have been other studies that have been published, such as the Hyperion trial, which I think I already uh, created a podcast on it, as well as a post on Instagram, but it's all linked in the in the description box below. I, I personally went to went to town criticizing it, and perhaps a little bit too harshly, but for some quick background on that study, they looked at patients who are 33 degrees Celsius versus 37 degrees Celsius. If you're interested in hearing my take, I mean, again, I explained it below, um, but the big thing is that a lot of the patients in the 37 degrees Celsius group had fever, and that's something that we have been able to tease out that's deleterious to the outcomes of our patients. And in addition to that, it had a fragility index of just one, which means that if one patient would have changed their answer to the questionnaire that was the method that they used to follow up with these patients at the end of the time that was um, the time that was denominated as a completion of the trial, it was it was a questionnaire with a telephone. And if one patient would have or a patient's family would have misled or answered the, the correct the question erroneously, then the, the trial would have never reached statistically statistic, excuse me statistical significance. 
So in order to go ahead and settle this debate once and for all, the TTM2 trial was published on the 17th of June, just a couple days ago, in the New England Journal of Medicine and is titled Hypothermia versus Normothermia after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Again, the link is in the description box below. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The whole purpose of people such as myself and now that I'm actually doing clinical trials and other researchers out there is to settle the debate and to figure out the best way to take care of patients and the best way to save lives. And the whole thought process behind cooling patients who suffered a cardiac arrest is to improve their neurologic outcomes. These past trials have called, have looked at calling patients, uh, you know, at cooling patients, excuse me, to 33 degrees Celsius or normothermia, which is described as either 36 or 37 degrees Celsius, depending on the trial. The key risk factor that seems to correlate most with poor neurologic outcome, as I mentioned before, appears to be fever. And again, in the Hyperion trial, there was a lot of fever going on. And of course, to disclose my bias right off the bat, I am not, I'm personally not a fan of using therapeutic hypothermia. This is due to the environment where I was trained, as well as the data that I have read and interpreted myself. I know there are people who are hardcore for hypothermia, but I am not one of these folks. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the reason why this question needs to be answered boils down to resources. Let's be quite frank, the patient who undergoes typical 33-degree uh, Celsius hypothermia protocols require devices to cool patients such as ice packs, cooling blankets, intravascular devices, etc. In addition, one needs to check serial labs to make sure that this whole process doesn't break anything. Patients don't go into arrhythmias. They don't have electrolyte shifts. They don't develop underlying coagulopathies in the process. And then, you know, there's a specific amount of time that the patient needs to be cooled. And the rewarming process is something that also needs to be monitored carefully as electro electrolyte shifts can be noted. Now, in the TTM2 trial, they cooled the patients to 33 degrees Celsius for 28 hours after randomization. They went ahead and rewarmed the patients in hourly increments of one-third of a degree Celsius. For those patients who were not randomized to the hypothermia group, they were shooting for a temperature of 37.5 degrees Celsius, which is higher than what they were shooting for in the Hyperion trial and in the initial TTM1 trial. For the sake of being an American and using Fahrenheit rather than Celsius, uh, keep in mind that 38 degrees Celsius, which is consider considered fever in these trials, is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, don't be ashamed. I have to look this up myself periodically. I, I'm not good at, you know, doing these conversions in my head. Patients were provided with 96 hours to go ahead and wake up. And in order to keep these patients um, at 37.5 degrees Celsius in the, in the normal thermia group, they also use a significant amount of cooling blankets as well as intravascular devices. So you can't say that they had less interventions done to them because in reality, you know, they did. And, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this provides us with some insight as to how these, these fantastic researchers who did this study avoided fever in their patients uh, when, you know, cooling them or just keeping them at a certain temperature was not enough. Let's be clear that 
The reality is that therapeutic hypothermia is not necessarily a benign procedure for the theoretical benefits compared to normal thermia. In this particular study, 6% 6 of the patients enrolled in the hypothermia group had to be rewarmed early because of cardiovascular instability as well as arrhythmias. And the number needed to treat to cause an arrhythmia that resulted in hemodynamic compromise was 12.5. Now, there was no difference whatsoever in bleeding, pneumonia, nor sepsis in the two groups. And the author stated that the reason for hemodynamic compromise could have been secondary to, quote, electrolyte disturbances, fluid status, and temperature effect on the cardiac myocytes. Compared to the TTM trial, the first one that enrolled 950 patients, and the Hyperion trial, which, rolled, which enrolled 584 patients, the TTM2 trial blew these two out of the water and enrolled 1,850 patients in their trial, which is fantastic. The researchers could obviously not blind the physicians in the study because all it really takes is a physical exam to determine whether the patient is 33 degrees Celsius or a temperature higher than that. But when we look at the baseline characteristics of the patients, it's, it's interesting to see that the majority of the arrests took place in the patient's own residence. In addition to that, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these patients ended up going to the cath lab because they had STEMIs. I, I can't say that what I see in my facility is this high rate of patients who go to the cath lab for STEMIs and that being the etiology of their arrest. But nonetheless, I, I, uh, I, I defer and I'll, I'll leave that for another day. They also had 25% of the rhythms be non-shockable rhythms, which is something to consider. Um, there, there's some some thought process processes out there which state that non-shockable rhythms should really be cooled uh, because those patients might not do as well as a shockable rhythm simply because they were down longer, generally speaking. Something to consider was that the median time from cardiac arrest to returning uh, return of spontaneous circulation, which those of us who work call ROSC, was 25 minutes. This this is honestly interesting to me because it provides some insight into how long we should run ACLS codes in certain patients. There's always this discussion about shockable versus non-shockable rhythms. My my take on this is is simple. I like again, there are people who state that non-shockable rhythms uh, would likely benefit more from the 33 as opposed to 36, but I can't really say that that it's really going to change my management at this time, and I could be completely wrong on this. But and part of the reason is that, you know, who knows if it was a shockable rhythm at first, then quickly degraded to a not shockable rhythm. Um, again, it turns out that the authors here felt the same way as I do, and they enrolled 72 to 75% of patients with a shockable rhythm, and the rest were non-shockable rhythms. In in my practice, I, at this time at least, and I... I just got to admit that I would provide no weight as to whether it's a shockable versus non-shockable rhythm. Uh, either way, it's my job to sort out the etiology of the rest, fix that etiology if I can, keep them stable, and give them the optimal conditions for their own neurologic recovery. You see, the bottom line of the study is that they showed that using hypothermia was no better than normal thermia of 37.5 degrees Celsius. And actively avoiding fevers by using therapy such as, such as cooling blankets. There was no difference in death of any cause at six months. There was no difference in the main secondary outcomes of modified Rankin scores, nor functional outcome at six months. In my practice, I've been using normal thermia for several years, and with these data, I, I will continue to do so. Um, we have ag aggressively been treating fevers when it arises, and again, we will continue to do so.
but I do recommend that you read this article for yourself. I, I can't state that enough. This is not this is not medical advice. I definitely have to provide a hat tip to the authors of this study, as well as all those who have contributed to the fantastic literature regarding normothermia and as well as hypothermia, because it's it's definitely a um, worthy endeavor to try to find the answer to this question. Um, again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Hope you got something from it. And hope you all have a great day and good luck taking care of your patients. Bye.